Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them with me to the gospel according to Mark. Today, we're going to be in chapter 8, looking at verses 22 through 30. So we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. Uh, Last week, if you remember, we looked at the feeding of the 4,000 and the response of the dull-headed disciples. And so we saw them in this context where they were just unable to see. They were unable to understand who Christ truly was, even though he had shown them over and over again, and even though they were following him with really all of their heart. They had sacrificed everything to follow Jesus, and yet they were unable to see who he truly was. Well, today we have a story that's going to fit directly into that context. And after the first story we're going to look at, we're going to look at a second story, which is going to really be the climactic point in the first half of the book of Mark, where the disciples who couldn't see, they couldn't understand, they're going to have some clarity. And Peter is going to say about Jesus, you are the Christ. It's a fantastic text we're going to look at today, two wonderful stories, and I believe that you will be encouraged and blessed. And so before we jump in to reading the stories, I want us to pray and just prepare our hearts for the reading of God's Word. So pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word together. God, I pray that our hearts would be good soil. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be uh, prepared to receive your word today. Lord, that we would allow you to uh, just work in us or that we might see and we might hear the beauty of Christ and his gospel, that we might grow in Christ. And so, God, I pray that you just do a wonderful work in our lives where we know that what is impossible with us, what is impossible with man, we know it is possible with and in you. And so, Lord, we lift up the name of Jesus. We want to lift him up in his word today. We pray all these things in his name, the name above every name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles ready, we're just going to pick up reading there in verse 22. <clears throat> so this is coming after you know the feeding of the 4,000 and after the conversation with Jesus, with his disciples, where they just did not get it. And Jesus ended the text where we were last week where he says, you know, do you not yet understand? Do you not perceive? Do you not see? Do you not hear? Do you not get it? Well, that's where we ended last week, and today we're going to pick up here in verse 22. It says that they, be- they came to Bethsaida. And so Jesus and his disciples, they make their way to a new spot this week. And so they go to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. So this is very similar to what we have seen in other stories, especially recently, where we see Jesus come to an area. We see some people who love a person enough to pick them up or take them or lead them to Jesus who they believe has the power to heal their friend or family member or just community member. They bring him to Jesus. In this case, it's a blind man. And they beg Jesus. They implore Christ to touch him and to heal him. Okay, And so that's what we see happening again. And in a very similar way to what we saw a few weeks ago with Jesus with the deaf man, we see in verse 23 that it says, And he took the blind man by the hand, And he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And so we see Jesus trying an even different method than what we have seen previous. And he, he takes a man who cannot see. He spits in his eye. 
Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like. You know, it, it, once again, we saw him spit a few weeks ago on his hand and then touch the ear of the deaf man. In this situation, he spits on his eyes and he laid his hands on him, and then he asked him a question. And so just imagine this scene. Jesus has been, you know, so kind to the people that he is ministering to. He takes this man's hand who cannot see, and he guides him to a place where they are in private. He spits on his eyes, and now he has laid his hands on the man, and he says, do you see anything? Now, what is interesting about this story is numerous things, but one, this story is not found in any of the other gospel accounts. And so Mark is the only one who records this particular story, and you're going to see that it is a very unique one. Look at verse 24. It says that the man looks up, this is from the question of, do you see anything? And he says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And so I want you to imagine right now that they have, you know, gone off to a private setting, but there are still people in the background or around. And so Jesus tells him, you know, ask him, do you see anything? And the man opens his eyes. And for what we assume to be the very first time in his life, he's able to see something. And so he's able to make out there are people. He says, I see people but they look like trees walking. And you may have studied this before and thought that was a very strange statement. It's really not that odd, right? Right now, he just has very blurred vision. And so, you know, I, I recently got progressive lenses. And before that, when I would try to focus my attention on reading the Bible or reading books, which I love to do both of those things, I love to read, I, man, I wouldn't be able to see. And so I would look down and it was, you know, I saw words that looked like trees on the page, okay? You know, this guy looks up and he sees people, but he cannot see them clearly. He sees something, but he can't see to the extent that he will soon. And so he says, I see, but it's very blurry. I have blurred vision. Verse 25, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. And his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And so this is a two-part healing. This is a two-touch healing. And so you might read this and go, man, did Jesus like mess up the first time? Is he experimenting with a new method? You know, what's going on here? And I want you to see that Mark is going to give us this particular healing to lead us to the climactic point of his story, okay, of, of all of the writing and all of the story that he's been telling thus far. And so this is a very purposeful thing of Christ and the way that he's healing this man, and it is going to be recorded for a very particular reason. After Jesus now has healed this man, his sight is restored. He sees everything clearly. He sends him away to his home, and he says, words that we've seen in the book of Mark at other times, he says, don't even enter the village. What he's saying is, don't show anybody what has taken place. Don't let anybody know. Keep this secret, okay? Well, let's keep going. Story number two. It says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And I just want to stop there for just a second and make sure we put this story in the context of all that we have been studying in the book of Mark. So we've been studying Mark since late August. All that we have studied thus far, in fact, the first eight chapters really are laid out with one main question in mind. And the question is, who is Jesus? 
in this particular story, we're finally going to have the disciples answer this with clarity. But up until now, the question of who, who is Jesus you know, has been filtering through every story that we have studied and that we've read. Here, Jesus asked the questions. He's saying, who do people say that I am? What are people saying about me? What, who do they say that I am? And so the question that Mark's been asking and has been walking us through, now Jesus asked his disciples. Well, they told him, they said, well, John the Baptist, you know, some people say John, others say the prophet Elijah. You know, other people think that you're him and others, one of the prophets, you know. So there's a lot of talk in the town about you and there's a lot of different answers at this point. Verse 29 he asked them, he says, but who do you say that I am? He asked a specific question. It's one that's important, and it's one that we all need to consider. You know, we know that there's a lot of talk about Jesus, but who do we say that he is? Who do we believe that he is? Well, he asked this question. Peter answers and says, you are the Christ. Love this. In the book of Matthew, he gives a little bit more of Peter's answer. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? It says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Now keep in mind at this point, when we've been studying Mark, really the only people who have gotten this right are the only ones that have gotten this right are actually demons. And so demons would say, you know, you're Jesus, the son of God, get away from me. You know, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of, you know, get, get away from us. We're scared of you. But people have been missing the whole point. The Pharisees have been missing it, missing it. The religious leaders have missed it. The crowds have missed it. The disciples have certainly missed it. They have been without understanding. Here, finally, there's clarity in Peter's answer. And he says, you are the Christ. Now, today, we're not really going to discuss what all that means or what Peter is thinking or what the disciples are thinking when they say that. We just want to see that this is a very important part, a pivotal point in the book of Mark. From this moment, we've had, you know, up until now, it's been, who is Jesus? Well, the answer is, he's the Christ. But from this point, it's going to be, well, what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ? And we're going to find out next week. We'll come back to verse 27, and we'll go through a little bit further past that next week. But we're going to see that Peter doesn't know what that means. The disciples don't get what that means. What they thought the Christ would be is not necessarily who Jesus is. But he does answer clearly and truthfully here, you are the Christ. Verse 30, and it says, and he strictly charged them, to tell no one. Now, what I want us to do <clears throat> is for us to see how these two stories that we've looked at today, how they fit together. And if we see them together, I believe it will help us, you know, to really understand more of the message that Mark is laying before us. What I want us to see is not just that, uh, you know, not just read and discuss these two stories, but I want us to notice and here's the phrase that we're going to use. I want us to notice the parallel storytelling ability of Mark. So we want to see how Mark, in his gospel account, how he uses parallel storytelling to write his account. That's just how he does it, and it is fascinating. And so we're going to look at a couple of different parallels that will help us to see how important this text truly is. And then I'm going to give you three walkaways today 
on why we need to know how they fit together. Okay. The first parallel is this, and work with me and be patient through this. I want you to focus in and seek to understand what I'm, what I'm giving you here, okay? Because I believe that this will help you to be a better student of God's Word. And so I want you to remember the passages that we've looked at over the, past, the last really couple of months, starting with that feeding that happened with the thousands, okay, where we had the feeding of 5,000 men, probably 12,000, 15,000 people. From that point until the point where, where Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, there is some major paralleling going on, okay? And Mark is just an absolute genius. And so what I want you to see is this, chapter 6, verse 31 through 44, and then 8, 1 through 9, which we saw last week, we have two feedings, feedings of the multitudes. But after those feedings, we have in chapter 6 and in chapter 8, we have a crossing of the sea and a landing on the other side. Chapter 7, 1 through 23, and chapter 8, 11 through 13, we have a conflict with the Pharisees. And so we see all of this just going in a very common progression. We see in chapter 7, 24 through 30, that's the Syrophoenician woman. And then also chapter 8, 14 to 21, which we saw last week with the disciples, we see a conversation about bread or discussion about bread. Chapter 7, verse 31 through 36, we see the healing of the deaf man. We see a healing. Chapter 8, 22 through 26, what we just looked at, we see the healing of a blind man. Both of those stories really looking very similar in their nature. Followed by chapter 7, verse 37, and chapter 8, 27 through 30, a major confession of faith. And it's a, you know, a progression of faith where in chapter 7, verse 37, it's the crowds after seeing the healing of this deaf man that they say that he does all things well. You know, even the deaf hear, the mute speak. Here, the confession of faith with Peter is, You are the Christ. You know, th this is the climactic point of the first half of the book of Mark. And Mark is wanting us to see this, he's wanting to highlight this through telling these stories using uh, parallels. I want you to see another parallel, and it's just within the two stories that we just looked at. So these are parallel uh, stories, uh, the parallel stories of the two-part site. Okay, that's what we're going to call it. Well, we just read about the blind man, and we're going to see paralleled with the blind man are the disciples who are unable to see. You know, so in a sense, the blind disciples, like they don't, they don't get it, they don't understand, they don't perceive, they don't see, they don't hear. The blind man and the disciples. We see with the blind man that Jesus leads him away from the area. He takes him away. With the disciples, Jesus takes them away to Caesarea Philippi. And so he, he, takes, you know, he takes the man away, he takes the disciples away. With the blind man, we see the initial touch and we see partial vision. With the disciples, we see the question one and we see partial vision or partial insight. With the blind man, we have touch two and we have clarity. We have him being able to see everything clearly. Question two, we now have this statement of clarity from the disciples. You are the Christ. After the blind man is healed, Jesus says, do not show anyone. <clears throat> After the disciples 
wonderful confession, Jesus says, don't tell anyone. This is very purposeful for Mark, and he has told these stories, and he has laid out his book in parallels for particular reasons, and it's to help us as readers focus on the right things and to understand where he is leading us. And so what I want us to do from this point is really move on to our application, but I just want us to ask the question, what do seeing, you know, what does seeing these two stories, you know, really teach us this morning? You know, why does it help us? How is it beneficial? And I'm going to give you three reasons. The first is this, is that when we see the parallels, when we recognize and when we see the focus of Mark here, is that we see what Mark has been leading us to see the whole time, and that is that Jesus is the Christ. Now, once again, we now have the answer that we've been looking for. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Christ, according to the gospel of Mark. That's who he is. The rest of this book, the rest of our time studying the gospel according to Mark, we're going to be asking the question, well, what does that mean? Because the disciples aren't, they're still not going to get it. They're still not going to understand clearly. It's going to be a progressive sight. You know, it's going to be progressive vision where what they're not going to be able to see here in chapter 8, they will see later. You know, it will become even more clear. But we see what Mark is wanting us to see at this point, that Jesus is the Christ. And so whoever you are today, anybody on the other side of this screen, I want you to hear this, that the Bible claims that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one that has come to save and to bring renewal. Jesus is the Christ. And so Mark shows us that. And I believe when we study these parallels that we see that. The second thing, though, that we see, and I want to talk about this for just a minute, is that we see the depth and the artistic genius of the Bible. Now, I don't know who all, you know, out there today, you know, are readers, you know. And when I say readers, I, I mean that you, like, truly love, you know, to read books. And you appreciate, you know, different genres and, and you love just to, to read a wide array of books, okay. I, I do love to read I love to read, you know, fantasy fiction. I love to read nonfiction. I love to read biographies. I love just to read books, okay? And my love for reading of books has, you know, at times led me to uh, appreciate, I believe, the storytelling ability of the Bible, you know, way more. Because I don't know if you're like this. This is how I was. When I was growing up, I thought about the Bible and you know I knew it was a pretty large book and I knew it had a bunch of rules and regulations in it and I knew it had a story about Jesus Christ. But when I thought about the Bible honestly I thought about it being like a really simplistic book and I thought about it being a really boring book and one that I didn't really want to read that much. And, you know, that if I wanted to know rules, I'm sure somebody will tell them to me. You know, like I, I'm going to hear them from the Bible Belt South, okay? That, that's really how I viewed the Bible. Now, once I believed and once I saw Christ for who he is and have been growing in that ever since then, listen, the Bible is just amazingly deep, It's got so much depth to it and so much just artistic genius that I want to tell the world about it, you know. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not a Christian 
and you are listening to this today and you're you're just saying, hey, look, the Bible is just a simplistic book that you know has nothing for me. I want to encourage you to read it and seek to appreciate just the depth and artistic genius that you find in it. And if you're a Christian today and you are you know, and you're listening to this, man, dive into God's word and, and just enjoy it. Learn it. You know, seek to study it in its appropriate context. The Bible is not just a, you know, it's not a book of like rules and regulations, though there are certainly some rules and regulations that you will find in there. There's an entire section that is law, okay? But when we see the Bible, we need to see it not as, you know, a few rules and regulations. We need to see it as a story. And it's a story that is grand and beautiful. It's a story that is has so much depth and it has so much artistic genius woven throughout. From Genesis to Revelation, there's a story that is told. And it's told through 40 different writers. It's told over, you know, hundreds of years of writings all kinds of different genres. You know, we've got poetry and we've got songs. We've got history. We've got prophecy. We've got narrative. There's law. There's all of these different things put together telling one amazing story of God's love for us in Christ Jesus and his heart to make all things new. The Bible is one large narrative. And so we have to see that. It's so beautiful. The Bible is a story that tells us about creation. It tells us about the fall. It tells us about redemption. And then it tells us about new creation at the end. And we have to see the Bible through that big meta narrative. If we do, like we'll celebrate it so much more. And I want to encourage you to read the Bible in its actual context. Today, if you don't hear me say anything else... Hear me say this, learn to read the Bible as it was meant to be read for us. Don't just take a paragraph or two and use them you know, to mean whatever you want it to mean. Read and seek to understand the Bible in its context and see the Bible through the gospel of Jesus. Look through and read Genesis to Revelation through the beautiful and finished work of Jesus Christ for us on the cross and his work of renewal that he's doing when he returns and he makes everything new. What a work Christ is doing in our lives. And the Bible helps us so much to tell this story. We see just this paralleling in this kind of storytelling throughout the scriptures. And honestly, it's probably in so many other places in the Bible that I just haven't studied in depth yet. You know, So for me, I think about stories like Ruth. I think about stories like Jonah, stories like Esther, that they are so laid out, they're so paralleled in the way that they tell the story that people have been led to believe that it can't be accurate because it couldn't be that clean you know, of a storytelling. But that's just the way that God gives us his word. That's the way that he has orchestrated for us. And it's because of the depth and the artistic genius of the Bible and of the writers and ultimately of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what we see. It's so fascinating. And Mark is no different. I had no idea that Mark was like this. I've, I've read Mark for years, and I think I've appreciated it to some extent for years, but nothing like I do now. Like Mark is, he's so smart in the way that he's laid this out. 
And it's so intriguing because when I study it, it's not just, you know, it's not one story and then another story. It's all of these stories that he has placed together and he's put them in a particular spot to tell us a particular thing or to show us a particular thing that he's leading us to see in Christ Jesus. These first eight chapters, everything's been set up for us to be focused in on that Jesus is the Christ. And Mark did a wonderful job in doing that. And so I just want you to appreciate God's word and seek it out, study it, and study it in its context. Wrestle with God's word. It will change your life. What a beautiful thing we have in God's word. The Jesus Storybook Bible is the last thing I'll say and I'll move on. The Jesus Storybook Bible says something that I have been you know, just encouraged by for so many years. But the subtitle is it's just, Every Story Whispers His Name. Every story whispers the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, I love the Bible. Okay, so we see what Mark has been leading us to as we study these parallels and and the way that he has orchestrated this book. We see what he's been leading us to. That's that Jesus is the Christ. And we see just the depth and artistic genius of the Bible. But thirdly, we see the progressive nature of our own vision and our own growth in Christ. It's kind of a long sentence, and it may be even a little bit too long, but I didn't want to leave something out. I didn't want you to be confused. You know, when we study this story about the blind man, and then when we just see the narrative of the unfolding vision of the disciples, man, we can connect their story to ours in a very rich way. We see the progressive nature of our own vision and our own growth in Christ. And I'm going to try to walk you through this in a helpful way. Way. And so I want you to think about the gospel of Jesus. I want, to think of, I want you to think about your faith and your walk with the Lord. And I want you to consider it that, that you were, you know, you were saved at one point, uh, but also your salvation comes through a process. Okay. So I want you to think about our growth in terms of a point and a process. It's both. And a lot of times I think we focus on the point and then we sit and we struggle through what the majority of our life is and it's the process of faith. Now, if you want to, you can use the very theological terms here. You know, we've got our salvation, we've got our sanctification, however you want to talk. I just want to speak in words that you understand and you can apply and you can, you know, deal with in your own home and life. And so I just want you to say the Bible teaches... That salvation comes to us, yes, in a point, but also, yes, in a process. We're going to look at both of those and what these two stories teach us or what they help us really to think through as far as the healing process, the, the progressive vision that we saw there with the blind man and that we see with the disciples. And so let's just talk about you know our salvation and our faith in terms of a point. Now, for me, I've said this numerous times, and you may be like me on the other side of the screen. Listen, I don't remember a point when I came to know the Lord. Like, there's not like a date or a particular event or a particular scene that I can even take you to in my life. There, it, was, it was over a period of time where I learned what it looked like to follow Christ. And I don't know you know, exactly what that looked like or what, what exact day, you know, that was. But there was, according to the Bible, there was a point when, yes, the power of the gospel saved me. 
you know, transferred me from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the marvelous light of the sun. That, that happened. And so we see that, you know, according to Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God to save. Ephesians 2 talks about this, you know, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but in Christ, we are made alive. And so, you know, going from death to life. Second Corinthians chapter 5 talks about that if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He's a new creature. And so we're new creatures in Christ. And so to me, that really points us to, you know, a moment, that there was a moment when there was a change in identity. Romans 3, you know, we've been justified. We've been made right with God. How? Through our faith in Christ Jesus. It's through the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ for us. Romans 8, there's no more, you know, there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The end of Romans 8, there's no more separation for us in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so like for me, I don't remember the point where you might be like, yes, that point was 1996 at 7.30 at this particular place or by my bed while I was reading the Bible or while, was, you know, whatever it is. You may have that point, it, but it doesn't matter if you can remember a point. The point that I want us to remember and the main point that we need to focus on is the point when Jesus Christ died in our place. The point when Jesus became the atonement for our sin. And because of that point, yes, there was a point in Colby Mache's life where I went from death to life when I looked on Christ and I believed. And so it certainly is a point and we celebrate that. But listen, what I want us to spend the rest of our time on today is talking about the process, you know, the process of, and it's true to say this, of our salvation. And so you know, once again, the theological way we can say it is our sanctification, but it's our growth in Christ. It's as we, you know, become fully what we are not yet, okay? And so the, the first thing I want to mention under a process is just we've got to connect with each other on this, is that we are not yet who we will finally be in Christ. Now, there are certain things that are just true about us always, and I try to make this clear consistently in our in my preaching, or that's at least my goal, is for you to understand, like, no matter where you are in Christ, there's just certain things that are true about you now that are going to be the same 10,000 years from now, okay? An example of that would be this, is that, you know, like we've been justified, okay? We've been made right with God, and the way that I phrase it is the Bible leads us to see this, that, man, if you're in Christ today, you cannot be more right with God in 10,000 years than you are right now as you sit on your couch. Like, you will not be more right with God as your life grows. And even after you're glorified with Christ, you won't be more right with God. You know, you're not going to be more His. You're not going to be more loved by God. You're not going to be, you know, in a, in a sense, there is a stage of our adoption in Christ that is to come. Romans 8 teaches us that. But we are legally children of God right now, we're not going to become like, you know, there's not like a more legal way that we'll become a child, you know, in, as the years come or as we grow in our faith. That's just not how it works. That's not how his grace is given to us. We are who we are in Christ. You know, we are new creatures. 
we just may not be walking in it. You know, we may not be recognizing it to the extent and to the depth that we recognize who Christ is, that we recognize what he's done and who we are in him, what is ours in Christ, you know, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's still to do. The more that we grow in that is going to be the more that we become like Christ, the more we become who we will finally be. And so right now, we're not yet who will finally be in Christ. And we just have to connect there. Like there's parts of my life that I look at and I go, man, I really thought that by the age of 37... (laughs) You know, and at this point in my Christian life, I would have thought I would be further along than this. You know, and I know for me, like, the dependence that I have upon the Lord, the desire that I have just to spend time devoted to Him in prayer. Like, there's just certain parts of my life that I'm like, man, I thought I would be further along than this. But yet when I look back, I mean, I can look back just, I mean, five, six, seven years ago, And I mean, it is really like so much of my life, if I look back, it was like I looked and I said, yeah, I see. But it's kind of like trees walking, you know, where today I just have this in, in certain areas, just so much more clarity, you know, about what it looks like to see Jesus and to walk in his love. And so we just need to identify with this statement that there's a process that we are in and it makes up so much of our Christian life. And so right now, there's a process that has this, this taken place in your life where you are going to grow from where you are now to who you will finally be in Christ Jesus. And we want to celebrate that process. We want to understand that process and see how the gospel works in our lives through process. Okay, so we are not yet who will finally be. And just to talk about this process a little bit, <clears throat> just got a few phrases In this process, man, this is where we learn to walk. You know, it's like a little infant growing here. This is where we learn to walk. We learn to walk by faith. We learn to walk in the power of the Spirit. We learn to walk in the love of Christ. You know, this is where we learn to walk. This is how this is where we learn how to get dressed, how we learn to dress, how we learn to put on the right clothes. And the language here is language that I've used before, but like read like Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, Romans 13. There's a lot of talk about taking off the old and putting on the new. This is how we learn to dress, to put on our gospel clothes, you know, to get ready each and every day and morning and to really take off what is not true about us and to put on what is true about us in Christ, about who we are in the Lord, what is true about us. And so this is where we learn to walk. This is where we learn to get dressed. This is where we learn to repent daily. I think it's so important for Christians to talk about repentance and to talk about it biblically, to talk about it the way that it's presented to us in the scriptures. We've said this several times recently, but like the word repent means to change one's mind or to change one's will. And so like the word repentance is, is not just a word that we associate with like bad things. You know, so like I'm doing bad things. I need to you know, repent, I need to turn and do good things. It's not as simple as that. Like, that's not the way that it works. It's that we need to turn in all things to Christ. You know, even the best of things in our life, we need to practice repentance. We need to have a changed mind to see even the best of things through the lenses of Christ. You know, to be able to see, you know, uh, money and family and you know, popularity, to see poverty, to see like, just go on with the list, to see all things 
through the lens of Christ. And we have to repent. We have to have a changed mind to see. The values of Christ, the values of his kingdom, we have to have a changed mind so that the values of the kingdom are the values that we have become our values, not the values of this world. And so like, it's a daily time of repentance. It's a consistent repentance. So like in this process, we're learning to repent daily. In this process, we're learning to live love and we're learning to live loved. I mean, those go together, but like we're learning to live in the power of the love of Christ. We're, we're learning to see, you know, how he has loved us and then love one another. We're learning to, you know, see how we were welcomed in Christ and then welcome, you know, another. We're learn, learning to receive his grace and then extend his grace, to receive his mercy and extend his mercy. We're learning to not only live a life of love, but we're learning to live loved. So many of us just don't understand this foundational truth of the Christian life. It's that you are loved by God. So many of you feel, you know, like you're just a mess. Like you feel like you're just a, you know, consistent mess up when it comes to the Christian life. And that you're just never getting it right. You're not reading your Bible enough. You're not praying enough. You're not you know, connecting with people enough. You're not encouraging enough. You're not on mission enough or whatever the things that go on in your head. And what you need to hear this morning is this, is one of the main parts of the process of Christ and growing in Christ is just knowing that you're loved, period. God loves you. God is for you. He is never against you. I want to say that every single time I preach to you. Every single time I speak God's word over your life, and it's in his love that we will live a life of love. It's that we'll live in freedom and we'll live in his rest. That's part of this process. The last thing I've got here is that in this process that we're learning, and I'll kind of incorporate all of this in this statement, is that we're learning to see the world, see you know, our lives through gospel glasses. We're learning to see the li- you know, our lives through through the lens of what is true about Jesus and what's true about us in him. In this last section here, I just want us to consider seeing with gospel glasses. And in light of the things I've already said, I want to give you two. They're kind of cliche statements using very churchy words. But I think if you understand them properly, they can help you understand what we've talked about thus far and what we're still to talk about today. And then we're seeing this, is that when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about this, pro- this point in this process, we understand this, that the power that saves you is also the power that sanctifies you. And when we talk about a power, you know, we're not talking about like this power that zaps you. We're talking about something that actually happened in history, you know, back then that has a complete effect on your life today. And that is that Jesus Christ, he died in your place. That there's a finished work that Christ has accomplished when he became sin on the cross and he was crushed for our iniquities, that he was buried and then he rose from the grave in perfect victory. The power that saves you is also the power that sanctifies you. That if we want to know how do we grow, you know, how does this process take place? Like we may understand the point, but we don't understand the process. And the thing is this, is that same gospel power that saves you is also the power that will sanctify you, that will grow you. The gospel that welcomes us in is also the gospel that grows us up. Like we don't walk away 
from the gospel of Jesus in the Christian life. We just move into the depths of it. We just continue to behold the finished work of Christ for us. And so as we look to Christ, and I think there's so many ways to do this, but if you say, well, how do I see, you know, how do these glasses get the prescription that they need? It's by us consistently looking through what we know is true about Jesus given to us through his word. Okay, when we study his words, when we study his works, when we study his ways, when we study what the Bible teaches about him from Genesis to Revelation, when we see that every story whispers his name, when we interact with Christ, when we walk in him, it's in that that the gospel begins to just constantly change and transform our lives. You know, like I wrote down several things here because I don't want any of the words that we say to seem meaningless to you. He does change us in a moment, but it's also true that he changes us over time. The power of the gospel comes through the outworking of Christ, you know, in our thinking and in our living. Romans 12, we read it last week, but I think it's so helpful here. And so I want to read it again to you. And it has to do with repentance, a whole lot to do with repentance. If I can find it. Here we go. Romans chapter 12, verses <clears throat> or verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Like that is a process. And it says that, uh, that by testing you will discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, this transforming of our mind comes as we see things more clearly. And the only way to see things more clearly is going to be to behold Christ. It's going to be to see him. And you got to see him in his actual context. You can't see just who somebody's told you that he is, or maybe a Jesus that you grew up hearing about. You need to see the Jesus that is given to us from the word of God. He is amazing. He is wonderful. As we see Christ for who he is and what he has done and what he's still to do, who we are in him, all of that changes us from the inside out. We need to study his humanity. We need to study his deity. We need to study his humility. What, like focus in on behold his attitude. Like second uh, not second Corinthians, Philippians chapter 2. As we see the very attitude of Jesus. So wonderful. Like I'll, I'll read this scripture all the time. I'll read it for you right now. This has so much to do with our process. Like if I focus in on the attitude of Jesus, it over time transforms, it changes my attitude that I have towards people. He says this, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, like, as I study the attitude of Jesus, my attitude changes over time. And I learn to have his attitude instead of the one that I had 
by nature. You know, as I look to his attitude, as I look to his sacrifice, as I look to his death, as I look to his mercy, as I look to his grace, as I look to his love for the outcast, for the vulnerable, as I see his boldness, as I see the way he even takes in the Pharisee, as I look at the way that he takes in the tax collector, all of this changes the way that I view God. It changes the way I view myself. It changes the way I view other people. And it, in fact, changes the way I view everything. When we're able to you know, see with gospel glasses, it's very similar to the progression that we have seen in our story today. You know, and it's not as much that we see, you know, well, at one time I saw it this way and then he touched me again and I see it another way. It's just like this consistent progression of where we are seeing God, ourselves, others, and everything more clearly as we see the world through the finished and final and beautiful and wonderful work of Jesus Christ. As we see what he's done, what he's doing, and what he is still to do and who we are in Christ. Oh, that's beautiful. So, Today, what I want to do is really encourage you to lean into the Lord in this process. You know, because the way that you see today, you know, I hope will seem like in 10 years from now that you look back and you say, man, I thought I could see, but now I really see. I thought I knew, but now I feel like I really know. And you probably have those kind of experiences, you know, right now. Where it's not that you weren't in Christ, it's that you just didn't see it as clearly as you do now. And that's just the way this works. Uh, Peter had to, you know, we see this in his life, just laid out in the scriptures. Peter's a guy who was constantly, you know, not yet who he would finally be. But even in his earthly life, like we saw him being a person who learned over time to not only see God a particular way, not only see himself a particular way, but also to see other people differently. He, he learned to love people who didn't look and talk like him, who weren't in his circle. But we saw a time where, you know, Paul had to go to Peter. He had to, you know, rebuke him. He had to get in his face and say, you know, Peter, you are not sitting with your Gentile friends anymore. You know, once your Jewish buddies got here, you walked off and you're not walking in step with the gospel. You know, you're not learning at this point. Like you need to learn what is true about God and what is true about you so that you can love these people, the other people, because you're not treating them the way that you're supposed to. And what happens is we see this process taking place in Peter's life. Well, how does it take place? Through the gospel. Paul is able to say you're not walking in step with the gospel. For us, there are so many areas in our life where the Lord is going to teach us through his gospel to learn to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. As we learn to see him, as we learn to see ourselves and what is true about us in Christ, as we learn to see other people and them as image bearers and people who are loved by God, and as we learn to see everything else in its context, as we learn to see you know, our work and money and family and any, everything, anything and everything, that we see as we have better vision, the prescription is amped up as we study and we seek Christ and we learn to see things more clearly in him. What a beautiful story we have today. And I hope that encourages you. I've got one final verse that I want to read for you today. And it's just an encouragement for really just the place that we're in right now. It doesn't matter you know, how far along you are 
in your faith journey. This is an important text for you. 1 Corinthians 13, really about the life of love, you know, living a life of love. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I just want you to be reminded of no matter where you are today, it is like, in a sense, seeing trees walking. It is like seeing in a mirror dimly. Like we see, but not to the extent that we will see. Like we know, but not to the extent that we will know. He says, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So church, remember this. Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I hope this message has been an encouragement to you. I hope it's even amped up your love for the gospel according to Mark and even more than that, just the Bible as a whole. I hope you know that God loves you, that he cares for you, that wherever you are you know, on this, in this process, wherever you are in your journey in faith in Christ, I want you to know that that's the place where the Lord will meet you today. That's the place that he meets you with his love and his care and his mercy. That's the place where we will grow in Christ. That's the way that, that's the place where he's going to find you today. Not on the other side of your growth, but right where you are. Today, know that you are loved. Know that you are cared for by God. Know that he's for you. He's never against you. The Lord loves you, and I love you. Grace and peace to you, my friends.